Where else can you go to not only find the information on how to train your dog, but the best deals on training equipment as well? Standing Stone Supply has everything you need to create that next versatile champion from DT system electronics down to even emergency med kits to take with you on your hunting trips. If you need some help with your training program, then their step-by-step online course might be a great fit for you, making it a convenient one-stop shop for the knowledge as well as the gear to take your training to the next level. Hit up standingstonesupply.com and promo code GDIY will save you 10%. Being an upland hunter in the south nowadays unfortunately means a lot of travel to try and find birds for my dogs. This means it's even more important that my map scouting is reliable to justify the effort. This is where Onyx comes in. I can honestly say that Onyx directly impacts the level of success I find on my trips. Whether it's the private versus public land boundaries, the expanding number of unique layers and features by state, or the 3D mapping capabilities, my initial step in planning my hunting trip starts with Onyx. To know where you're going, you have to first know where you stand. Check out Onyx Hunt Maps and use code G. DIY20 at checkout to save 20%. If I'm getting, if I'm going to be totally honest with you from a veterinary perspective, I did not want to introduce the booties to this podcast because I didn't know if these guys would ever invite me to go hunting with them. If I did, all right, you can calm down. We're back. We're here. It's another week of GDIY. Welcome, everybody. What's going on, everyone? So, uh, last week we did the first episode of two with the witty vet. We covered a lot of good stuff on that. We're gonna we're gonna finish out that conversation today. But first, if uh, you haven't followed us on Instagram and Facebook, you're lucky because you would have gotten sick of our mugs on the stories updating everybody on the uh, the test pr- uh, progression that we're going through. I ran Lucy in the utility test on Saturday, and Austin ran his dog Cash on the NA test uh, on Sunday. And we're not going to go too much into detail about this because it really both of them just turned out exactly how we thought it was going to kind of turn out. Uh, if you if you missed our NAVDA breakdown a couple weeks ago, go back and check that out. It goes into much more detail as far as testing. But uh, real quick, I guess we can just let everybody just give a real quick rundown, Austin, of Cash yeah. and, and what happened on the test with him. Yeah. Cash did great on the on a lot of portions of the test. Um, did awesome in the field. Pointed a bunch of birds. Held point for a long time. Recalled great in the field. He was just producing birds like crazy. What and he then does. What he does. And then uh, – he swam great, obviously entered the water, recalled great, doesn't have to retrieve the bumpers, but he retrieved them to hand. Everything was great. The track is what gave us our little hiccup on the day, and it wasn't honestly that bad. I got two birds in hand um, during the track, but the judges didn't see uh, enough actual track to give prize one work on that. So that's all we got a prize two overall in the uh, test, what he did. He just tracked a another one that was previously laid we were running seventh that day so he so ran a previous track he ran a previous that. track did that one and didn't really acknowledge as much and advance as much as they wanted on our actual track <clears throat> although he did end up producing the bird after a while so um anyhow look you know it's it's uh, we got a 106 prize two uh overall so uh high scoring prize two um but it is what it is. We're going to move on to utility and hunting. There you go. Well, 
after the water, they they did the uh, coat check and teeth check and all that, and that kind of goes into uh, we did have a feedback from a from yep. a very very nice listener. Uh, some people might know him by Ronnie Bame. He uh, I've heard he, of that guy. Yeah, I think most people listening to this episode they may they may know him or not. But uh, seriously, if you're listening to this podcast, you, you probably know the Hunting Dog Podcast. If you don't and you're listening to us, appreciate it. Go give him a listen. Uh, he really kind of got this whole world started on the, on the podcasting situation. So what, uh, but he, he sent a, uh, follow up to last week's episode with wit when we were talking about the NA, uh, coach check. And, uh, we, we were talking about how we weren't a hundred percent sure why, what they were trying to get out of it. And he, he just followed up and said, it's a hundred percent for the breeders so that they kind of know what their dogs are throwing as far as, health-wise and coat and overbite right. and underbite, and uh, they know what not to breed for in the future. Yep. So uh, take that for what it's worth. Uh, Ronnie Bame, he's the guy that goes to BHA Pint Nights and gets pissed off in Nashville because they run out of beer. So that's right. That's how we met him. And he is a NAVDA senior judge. Yes. So that's a good person to for, know. Uh, yeah, to Good know. access. Yeah. yeah. So anyhow, tell us about Lucy. Uh, just like Cash, we knew going in, weakness was pointing. She scored prize one in every single section except for pointing. Mm-hmm. And uh, she killed everything. The only dog, I, I think she was the only dog that found ducks on a duck search. She was. I was watching. Okay. Yep. Uh, she killed that. She, I think she found the most birds in the field section. Uh, she killed everything. She did perfect on everything pretty much except for pointing. She has a soft point, which we're going to fix next year. We weren't really planning on running her this early. She turned 17 months the day of the test. So that is really young for utility test, but uh, it was just halfway through the summer. Everything was clicking. We're halfway there. Test sign up came up, and it's like, well, she's got it. Why the yeah. hell not? Like, let's just let's just roll with it. So uh, I was ecstatic. I mean, one ninety two prize two dog at seventeen months old. That's awesome. Something I can work with, staunching her up next next training season. That's I, I'm looking forward to that kind of training a lot more than I was force fetch this past past spring so uh we'll get to it and we'll we'll go after that prize one next year but hey if you've never tested it's it's hard work I mean people I think they kind of turn their nose up at prize three level dogs or anything that's not a prize one and those people it's it kind of they don't understand what it's really all about because any prize and any NAVD uh test it's it's an accomplishment and it's not easy to do with your dogs and it takes a lot of work and commitment. So, uh, but, but yeah, it's, it's just just from the sheer standpoint of throughout the day, you're in and out of the field. There's a lot of hurry up and wait. You have a lot of breaks in between running and what's, what's your dog doing between the times that they're running the field? (laughs) He's in my gunner kennel, the gunner kennel. That's right. No other brand. No. Because Gunner is the best on the market, guys. Seriously, they keep your dogs safe and comfortable throughout the day. You don't. There's have, a lot of stuff that can happen while you're waiting. It can. You know, you got trees around there. Yep. That tree could fall on your kennel. Hey, Gunner Kennel's got you. You you got certain judges maybe drinking too much beer, backing up into the <laughs> dog kennels. Who knows? <laughs> There's all kinds of stuff. That and can you got to get to and from the test. Yep. You go out there and test in 95-degree weather like we were this week. Guess what? They have a fan for that. A nice fan. A nice fan. But seriously, guys, they are the best kennel out there on the market. They're man's best kennel. They're the only kennel that's crash rated. They're the only kennel with a lifetime rating. 
and you people tell me, oh, gunners are too expensive. By the time you have to buy two or three other kennels that crap out on you after a couple years, you have, you buy one gunner kennel, it lasts you a lifetime. I've had my, though, I've had a gunner kennel for three years now. Looks the same exact as it did when I put it together. Yeah. <laughs> so, got my other one recently. Same thing. I mean, they're great. Yeah. And I'm expecting them to stay that way. They are going to. So, Austin has his gunners. I have my gunners now. Joe has his gunners. When you're getting your gunner, you need to go to our website. The link is live now. It's gundogityourself.com. There's a link to the gunner webpage. If you're interested in a gunner, use that link. It really helps us out, and it goes a long way. So that's – you just got to get a gunner, guys. So that's the only decision. One other thing. We talked about how to keep your dog cool in the gunner kennel. Yeah. With that fan. Yeah. But how did you stay cool this weekend? Oh, that lightweight Duck Camp Upland shirt. Duck Camp, baby. That's and it. It was awesome. I felt like I had a little baby Jesus on my shoulder just blowing air on me. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't know if you were going to go there or not, but hey, I believe you. It it was perfect. Seriously, guys, it was you you we're in 95 degree weather temperatures hot as all get out humid middle tennessee sun was blazing and i felt like i mean it, it was just light i could move in it it's built perfectly around the shoulders gives you just enough space you don't have that tight you know shirt around you if you got wide shoulders hitting uh it was just great man i can see dove hunting whatever and that's the beautiful thing about them they have everything from really cold weather and that heavy weight shirt uh section that they have but they also have the lightweight stuff they even have bamboo shorts and shirts that are not just duck apparel they have yeah. everything i mean they they're really an outdoors apparel they have everything for fishing they have everything for uh, upland hunting wing shooting uh just a day out at the clays course they have everything that you need to stay comfortable and functional or you could podcast in one of their blaze orange hats well we can't all be as cool as you i know dude i'm telling but, you it's comfortable but again here's another reason follow us on instagram because we will be giving one of those blaze orange hats that all since repping right now that you can't see we'll be giving that away on a giveaway here soon i'm telling you it feels great yeah. and effective in the field but so when you go by duck camp Tell them that we sent you. When you get your gear, put it on that Instagram story, Facebook story, post, whatever. Say, hey, GDIY guys sent us there. Just let them know that uh, we told you about it. We really appreciate it. And I guess. Why don't you tell us, give a little recap or just tell them about WIT again for these people that don't uh, that didn't listen last time. Yeah. So WIT, last, last week's episode covered kind of the basic intro level stuff, uh, shot schedules, nutrition, spay and neuter. Just stuff like that, uh, more puppy level. This is today we kind of go into the field level stuff. We talk about everything from first aid packs to what kind of first aid should you give in the field yourself, uh, Lyme disease, uh, snake vaccines, pretty much anything field related. We have a lot more information coming your way. Last week's episode was really well received. We got a bunch of great feedback on it, and it just goes to show find a vet that you trust and know in your area preferably you know if they're not hunters themselves they're at least pro hunting 
Uh, yeah. If you're near the Middle Tennessee area, go down to Veterinary Associates of Murfreesboro. They do have a Facebook. They do have a, a website. Check them out. With, I know he'd love to have you guys there and uh, get to it. That's right. He was an awesome guest for us. I think he may be another one we're going to have on again, you know. Yeah. So, uh, you know, I guess, guys, just – Buckle up. Get ready for the episode. Yep. Have fun. And uh, we'll be in Wisconsin next week. So, again, social media, follow us, share us. And uh, we're going to be giving updates throughout the week. Hopefully, we have a bunch of good stories and content coming your way. Hopefully, we bag a few birds and can fire up that grill while we're there. Yeah. One thing with the uh, social media and the giveaways, guys, we're going to be giving away um a gunner kennel at some point pretty soon which we'll be using on the way to wisconsin and we're yeah we're going to be using those possibly wearing duck camp yeah so you have to follow us on social media to be able to have knowledge of these promotional giveaways we're going to be starting those here soon so be looking out on it and uh yeah appreciate your support thanks for checking us out share it with a friend uh rate us review us five stars if you feel like we deserve less shoot us an email you can give us a one star, but if you do, please tell us why. I guess. I, I wish they wouldn't, you know, but hey, <laughs> give us give us five, you know, but and if you got a problem with us, email us first and we'll respond back to you. If you still want to give us a one, then you can give us a one. Fair enough. That's there we a fair go. trade. So guys, not to keep you any longer. Uh hope you enjoyed the episode. We'll check back next week. Appreciate it. See y'all. The Witty Vet returns. We're back here with Dr. Whit Morgan. Second episode last week, we kind of covered everything with the uh, puppy timeline with shots and everything and even got in nutrition and neutering and, and spaying your dogs. But uh, everybody that's listening to this podcast, hopefully they get, they have the dogs for uh, one reason, and that's to hunt and get out in the field and train. And so this week, we're going to really just talk about everything that correlates with getting out in the field and uh, first aid kits and, and common uh, elements and DIY stuff. And yeah, that's what we're covering today. So uh, Whit, thanks for coming back again. And uh, I guess we can just jump right on in with the uh, first aid kits. I think that's the bulk of what uh, a lot of people are curious about. want to make sure that they have good quality, dependable kits in their packs. Obviously that's a, a, uh, a pretty big important thing. Everybody's going to jump on first. Um, been in the field many times where you had a dog that had an issue, this or that. Um, so we we talked a little bit before we came on on the air to uh, assess kind of a first aid kit that you had picked up online, and a few of the things that I had, you know, just kind of uh, looked at first and foremost, things that you want to have in your first aid kit. Um, and you want me to go through those? Or you want to jump through kind of what you've got first? Uh, real quick, we what I did with Wit is I sent him just the two basic first aid kits on Gun Dog Supply. So if you're curious as we talk about this, you want to pause it or look at it again later, just go to Gun Dog Supply and look up their uh, first aid trauma kit and their first response uh, docking dead foul trainer uh, kit, and you'll kind of be able to see what we're talking about as we're going over it. So what I ordered was just the uh, first response kit that I can carry in my pack and I have with me in the field in case something goes wrong. And uh, that's the one that we have in front of us right now that Wit's actually been able to go through and put his hands on and kind of see the quality and 
and he can kind of give us his advice and tips and recommendations on. I'll say bang for your buck. You're getting a pretty good, um, you're pre- getting a pretty good value on what uh, Nick's talking to you about. The things that I would recommend uh, that are in that kit, you're looking at the, the 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 triple antibiotic ointments. These are the things that you can get on to a, a wound before you see your vet. Hydrocortisone cream. You're running across a, a bug bite or something like that. Um, the the bandage uh, material. You you want to look for the the vet wrap, the stretchy wrap. That's the good stuff. Always keep in mind when you're putting that on your dog that you're not stretching it too tight. We don't want to create a tourniquet effect. So a little quick trip, uh, uh, a tip that you can do for that is you can kind of unwind it off of the roll to begin with and then roll it back on before you roll it onto your dog's arm. Remember, you don't want to cut off the blood supply. Latex gloves for a number of reasons that we talked about before. Um, the latex gloves will be uh, more than one thing is 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 keeping you keeping the the wound sterile from what you're going to introduce to it as well as keeping your hands clean nick no that that's that's what i was getting at is latex gloves primarily just keep stuff out of the wound instead of really cleaning it out exactly well one thing i want to ask you is how can our listeners uh determine if maybe they've got that wrapping on a little too tight you know um can you go over some of those signs so always watch for your dog's toes. If you're putting a wrap, let's just say, for instance, on your dog's forearm, um, you want to watch for to make sure that you're not getting the wrap too tight. The first thing that's going to happen is your dog's toes are going to swell. If you start to notice a swelling, you want to release that bandage a little bit. And that's not going to happen within the first five minutes. So keep in mind that that's something you need to be cognizant of over the first couple of hours. You will not see, again, you will not see it swell within the first couple of minutes Make sure that within two to three hours you're checking your dog's foot because it may take that long. Just a little bit of pressure can go a long way. Okay, so is there any signs on that? Say you do wrap the leg too tight. Is there any signs that immediately turns into, okay, I need to get to the dog to the vet just because you wrapped it too tight? Or is it just something simple where you take the bandage off and circulation goes back to normal? In 99% of the time, if you take the bandage off, circulation will come back to normal, and within an hour or so, it'll go down. If it doesn't happen in that amount of time, you've got a bigger problem. Okay. Uh, so back to what we were talking about. There, there are uh, disposable skin staplers that are available. Always, always, always be cognizant of what we just talked about, the forearm. One of the most, uh, the veins that we use the most prominently to draw blood in veterinary medicine is located on the front of your dog's foreleg. So if your dog is, the, and that's also one of the places where you'll see the most uh, lacerations, puncture wounds, that kind of thing. Let's not grab a stapler and staple across that front leg because one of the first things you can do, and I've been guilty of being very close to doing this before, never done it, but we don't want to staple across the cephalic vein, which is on the front of the leg. So uh, be cognizant of that. Uh, What other areas would you say that you're pretty safe with the stapler? For the most part, you're going to be safe anywhere. Stay away from the outside or the lateral part of the back leg, uh, especially the the, the bottom part of your dog's leg below the knee, that's where one of the most peripheral veins is as well as in the in the forelimb on the front part. So if you can stay away from those, you're probably pretty good. Okay. Is there kind of a general rule of thumb 
every cut's different, every dog's different, the size and everything. Is there a general thumb that when you're looking at a gash or a cut or, or whatever that you say that deserves staples? Like, is there a width or is it just not closing, not, not stopping bleeding if you apply pressure? Is that kind of how you gauge it? In most cases, I gauge it on the, uh, the hemostasis or the bleeding. If it's not bleeding, you're probably okay. In most cases, I've seen some pretty nasty injuries that'll heal up. They'll scab up over time. But if it's still bleeding, probably a good idea to have it looked at. In most cases, though, they will scab up and heal on their own. Okay. Uh, so, so we were talking about the the uh, first aid kit, and I, and I think I mentioned the stapler. Uh, hydrogen peroxide, always a smart thing to have on board. Um, Nick and I talked about this earlier tonight, especially this time of year in Tennessee. Eye wash, super important. And I know you had some issues with that earlier this week. Yeah, just Lucy, she has, uh, I guess, looser eyelids than, than Rachel. I don't know what the correct term is for that, but she just catches a lot more seeds and dirt and whatever in there in her uh, eyelids and those tear ducts. And so when I do my tailgate check, I was just wondering what what was best to rinse them out or is it best to just leave it in there and let it kind of work its way out on its own? Uh, I, I would just go with some saline wash. And, and it, when it comes to the eyes, let's, let's not leave it up to chance. If you're, if you're running in dry conditions like what we're dealing with in Middle Tennessee right now, most days are 95 degrees and super dry. We hadn't had rain in weeks. Just go ahead and wash them out, and then you don't have to worry about it. Hey, one thing before we get too far removed from this with the hydrogen peroxide, let's talk about kind of the dual purpose of some of these uh, um, things that we may have in our kit here. So I guess this applies to really anything that we list that could be used for, you know, like hydrogen peroxide can induce vomiting. And later we'll talk about alcohol, I'm sure, if we have that in a kit. So can sure. you go through those, through at least what on the, on the hydrogen peroxide front, and then as we hit these other objects or items? So definitely, um, for hydrogen peroxide, there there are many uh, things that it can uh, ha- ways that it can benefit us from a uh, medical perspective. But one of those is, like Austin mentioned, would be to induce vomiting. If you know your dog has eaten something that it shouldn't, uh, one of the things you can do is 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 have them to ingest hydrogen peroxide. Um, what we'd like to go with is around one tablespoon per ten pounds of body weight and. We do that often at my practice. People call and say, my dog ate this or that. And I'll say, well, let's do a tablespoon uh, of hydrogen peroxide per body weight. And a lot of times folks call me back and say their dog didn't vomit. Then it wasn't enough. Uh, so we just, just keep giving it. Keep on keeping on. They're going to throw up. It'll happen. If you know it's not supposed to be there, then let's make them throw it up. Yeah. So, But it also does a good job of, of helping to keep wounds clean. We don't want to do it, just so you know, if, you, if you're picking your dog up from a spay at your local veterinarian, you don't want to clean the incision with hydrogen peroxide. That's not necessarily good for the healing that's taking place in that incision site, so just keep that in mind. But um, definitely can help you in more ways than just keeping the uh, uh, wound clean. Okay. Well, let's keep going down the list. Um, so a couple other things that I had brought up. We want to have some antihistamines on board. Benadryl is a good one. There's a number of, of, of antihistamines that you can, and I'll leave all this with Nick and Austin that they can put on their social media and website, but Benadryl is the easiest. It's probably the most readily available. One milligram per pound, four to five times a day is okay. 
So if you think your dog's been stung, you think your dog's having any type of allergic reaction whatsoever, that's fine. Uh, Anti-diarrheals are good. We all could agree on that, right? So the best Any dog owner, I think, can agree on that. (laughs) The the one I recommend the most is, I mean, just from an over-the-counter perspective, is Imodium. And you can do two milligrams of Imodium uh, a couple times a day. You shouldn't have a problem. The last thing I'd say, and Austin pointed out this earlier, is an alcohol bottle. Alcohol is probably your best friend when it comes to preventing infection, but keep in mind your dog may not enjoy the uh, the sensation. It's, uh, you know, if you've got a dog that can tolerate it, it's probably better than the hydrogen peroxide as far as cleaning a wound, but it's not always the most fun thing to do. Let's talk about what alcohol can also be used for, especially in this hot summer heat. So, right now, what we're dealing with a lot at my practice, and we've had, I can actually tell you of two dogs for 100% in fact this week that came in with absolutely zero health problems other than just being overheated. It's 100 degrees most days here in Middle Tennessee right now with the, uh, with the heat index calculated in. First thing we're doing when you bring them in my buildings, we're putting those alcohol, uh, alcohol spray on their feet. We're trying to... Uh, Obviously, using some ice packs and stuff too. But one of the first places that you're gonna uh, help to to lower their body temperature is getting some alcohol onto their paw pads, tops of their feet, and also onto their ears. Can you break that down a little bit? What portions of a dog's body are you know help cool it down? Because that's something that I didn't know when I first you know started really getting into this, and and I think that'd be beneficial to everybody listening. Obviously, the first place you're gonna cool any anybody down is the 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 core so yeah i mean getting to the core but that's not always easy to do we don't have an ice bath ready that's what we're doing at the university of alabama to cool down our uh uh, you just had to throw in university of alabama (laughs) again (laughs) so no so so if you don't have a way to cool down the core temperature what you've got to reach for are the things on the periphery you've got some some major blood supply to the to the feet and, and that's one of the ways that you can cool the body down very quickly, and that's something that everybody's going to have available to them. Um, you don't always have an ice bath ready when you're out in the field. I think you guys understand that. But if you have alcohol and you have some uh, a, a way to get that to their paw pads, so bring it in a spray bottle, whatever you have to do, you can lower their body temperature quicker uh, that way than, than the status quo. Well, with this heat-related subject, let's keep going down this, and we can circle back around to the first aid kit. While we're out here running these dogs, from uh, what I've read and understand, and you can tell me if this is completely wrong or whatever, just because the dog is swimming doesn't mean that it's safe from overheating because dogs uh, cool off kind of like us from evaporation. And when they get in the water, it's kind of like just throwing a blanket around them that they can still very easily overheat while swimming in the water. Is that correct? Yeah, that's absolutely correct. I mean, you got to think as soon as you're out of that water, your body's temperature is still permeating. If you're a dog and to just just going into a body temperature uh, standpoint, 99.5 to 102.5. And I guess I probably should have touched on that a little earlier with the first aid kit is 99.5 99.5 to 102.5 is what we're looking for. So make sure you have a thermometer in that first aid Exactly. Kit. And uh, rectal temperature is pretty much the only re- reliable way to to evaluate that. Um, 99.5 to 102.5 is what we're going for. Keep in mind, 
it's not time to freak out if you're if you're uh your dog you've been running for 30 minutes and his temp's 1027 we expect that we we expect the body temperature to elevate a little bit we're not looking for 104.5 okay so what are we looking for when the dog's out in the field water whatever how do you know when okay that dog is had it it needs to cool off it, before something irreversible happens the first thing i would tell you is that you should know your dog before you get out into a hundred degree uh, afternoon you're running your dog the main thing is to know your dog know what your dog is capable of and and use good common sense i think that goes without saying um, the other thing that i would look at would be your dog's gums we've talked about this a couple of times but the dog's gums should not be brick red in color we want to see pink we want to feel moist gums we don't want to feel them to be tacky or sticky and definitely not a dark red color that's not what we're looking for darker the color i guess redder i should say that means overheating right that's right and, and then start, the yeah. opposite way if it's like a lighter or bluer color then I, that's too cold correct exactly Okay, so with the exception of alcohol and a thermometer, is there anything else that is efficient to throw in your first aid pack for heat-related or, and I guess we can go ahead and touch on cold-related stuff too, uh, let's just say temperature-related injuries, what can we keep in our pack? Is it worth those little miniature ice packs? Is that is that worth having and carrying around and lugging with you? Uh, what, what can we carry in the pack to help? with any of that i'd say that depends on where you're at in the country here in tennessee we don't have to worry too often about uh, frostbite or anything like that obviously there are little booties and things like that that are available to to your dog that that could could help anything from uh, tearing their paw pads up to getting too cold in the winter time i haven't found that in my personal experience that i needed them too often but i also live here in the deep south so um if you're if you're in the in in the in the you know the north somewhere up in the dakotas that that could be a totally different situation yeah all right uh how about we segue the booties into some pad issues when we talk about some of that well we gotta finish up with the pack finish it up <laughs> yeah don't want to skip that we need to get over the, we need to finish the uh important stuff here so in the pack is there anything on that list it, you see there's something missing is there anything else that you say add like i know you said it's a pretty comprehensive pack but what what can we add to make it more i would say if you're looking to add something um the best thing you can add is something in most cases something that's not necessarily going to be part of your pack if you're if you're a gun dog guy i would make sure i got pain control uh most of you as you get into the gun dog world, we'll find a vet that you trust. And, and my honestly, the biggest problem that I've had, not me personally, but with people that I've talked to, would be pain controlling a dog. They're retrieving a dog in a, or a I'm sorry, a duck in a rice field, or they're picking up a, a grouse in a field, whatever it may be the issue typically comes back to pain control and you want to be able to, you, you want to like you guys are going to Wisconsin in a few weeks. You want to be able to hunt your dog the next day. You don't know what to do. Sometimes a simple inset is enough to get you through the next day. Maybe an injury is not as much as you thought. So having pain control around 
is a good thing. Also, keep in mind, just because your dog feels good doesn't mean that he is good. So just because you got pain meds on board, sometimes uh, they can still be hurting. So it goes back to just knowing your dog. Knowing your dog is almost 100% of the uh, solution. Okay. Uh, Well, real quick, I know just from what I carry in my pack, I carry a few extra tools. I always make sure that I have some needle nose pliers, some uh, wire cutters in case there's a a trap or a snare that the dog gets into if you're out hunting, and uh, hemostats. That's one thing that I kind of was surprised that – this this pack didn't have hemostats, and that's one thing on my list I need to make sure that I have in case we come across a porcupine, and it's also good out west, whether you're hunting Oklahoma. We came across that last year with uh, cactus quills and stuff like that. Sometimes yep. you just need that extra extra little bite that hemostats can give you that you're not going to get with uh, tweezers yeah, or, for sure. or pliers. Or, but uh, other than that, I think that's that's really the only additional stuff that I carry. Yeah, the basic pack plus what you just mentioned, I think you're pretty good to go. Uh, especially at our level. It's not like we're going to be doing trauma surgery and out in the woods. At the same time, yeah, guys, you're you're wanting to balance what you're lugging into the woods with having something that you can efficiently, you know, carry around. So, I mean, you want a small pack with just the basic tools to get you through a hunt. You know, yep. you're not going out in the – generally, you're not going out in the wilderness for a seven-day or ten-day you know, excursion. So you're not going to have a backpack on while you're hunting these upland birds. Yeah. Well, and also on that note is they have now have the vests that are a, a backpack. I can, I got one of those, the Alps outdoors, uh, pack slash vest, whatever you want to call it. And that's kind of why I got this first aid kit. Cause it's going to fit in that. Yeah. Just that a backpack. small kit. Yeah. But it's not a wheelbarrow. It's not a right. full on trauma kit. It's just, Hey, an emergency. Let's take care of it. Let's get to a vet. And, uh, if, if or anything, anything worse. Yeah. yeah. So, uh, let's get back to what Austin was trying to get into earlier was the, uh, pad issues because your dog blows a pad. I recently found out a little while ago, you're out for a little while. Uh, you want to touch on the pad issues with, and, um, obviously how to prevent them. And if you do have an issue of blown pad, what's the best practice that you found, to to get them back in action as quick as possible without having to worry about it again? So a couple things to be cognizant of is the terrain. Uh, if your dog's used to training, uh, on, on, on a specific type of terrain and you're introducing them into something completely different, then, then you can obviously expect, uh, some changes with what how their pads may respond to that. One of the things I would say to always do with your dogs is to make sure that the pads are uh, free of excess hair. That's just something that's going to lodge any and everything that it can. I see it on a daily basis. If you can if you can get it in there, it's going to get stuck in there. I promise you. So uh, keeping your dogs the hair trim between their uh, toes is always a good sign. Um, if you're, if you're looking at, uh, a dog that you think may be even remotely pushing on busting out the pads, like Nick's dog did a few weeks ago. And the only advice I could give him at that time was it's time to take a few days off. So once those pads look red, irritated, inflamed, it's time to take a couple days off because they just, they generally don't respond well to treatment. There's not like an antibiotic or uh, anything like that that's going to turn it around immediately. I think Nick would say that within a few days, his dogs t- tended to those pads. Put it this way, they heal pretty quickly. Yeah, they they did. It was 
I probably would have been safe taking them out after I'd say four, maybe five days. I gave them just a full, full, you know, seven to 10 days off. I, I wanted to be safe and make sure that it didn't happen again. And then I also ordered on Gondock Supply, uh, the, uh, the blue foot stuff. And, uh, we've been applying that and it seems to be working. It's toughened them up. They've never really had issues with, uh, weak pads, but blowing them out. The last thing I wanted to do was get into this hunting season and have pad issues because it, there, there's nothing worse than to going on these driving 20 hours sometimes to go hunting. And then all, you're, yeah. you're out of dog because of something as simple as a, as a blown pad. Right. Watch, watch the nails. Make sure you're not getting ingrown nails. Those, those are, it's easy to ignore one or the other, especially the dew claw. A lot of people ignore that one. But well, uh, real keep, quick on that, what's your opinion on dew claws? I know I've always heard take the dew claws off to prevent any issues, but it seems like there's been kind of a resurgence here lately of some people arguing that it's better to keep the dew claws on because of the tendons and everything. What's your viewpoint on that? I'd say there is a school of thought that there may be an arthritic issue come, that comes with the the severance of that uh, that tendon on the on the dew claw. My opinion is this: if you've got a puppy, take them off as soon as you can. They're certainly not providing you with any benefit, but with older dogs, it's not always a good idea. There's there's definitely it, it on the rear on the rear feet for sure doesn't typically cause any issue whatsoever but on the on the on the forelimbs there is maybe some drawback to removing them as they get older right one thing before we get too far away from the the pad issues um i want to bring this up uh, obviously guys kind of the, i think the theme on a lot of this stuff is knowing your dog right and i've ran into this a few times what nick was referencing a minute ago was driving 20 hours and having pad issues that happened to us or me specifically with scout when we were in north dakota uh we conditioned, but I can tell you, you can never do too much pad conditioning. Okay. And that may be roading your dog, um, or just getting them used to being on, uh, walking on gravel or something. I mean, just something to toughen those pads up now over a period of time. And I can tell you by the time we got done with our week long trip, we took to North Dakota last year, it was probably what day five or so when scouts pads were, I mean, he was getting pretty tore up at that yeah. point and I threw on the booties and that's where I was trying to wrap this up earlier and say hey let's talk about some pad issues and we're talking about the boots because that saved us and we were able to hunt for at least two more days because I was able to throw some boots on top yeah. of that also in Oklahoma the boots uh, I think you hunted just primarily you you weren't taking any chances because we had sand burrs and cactus yeah there. I just threw them on then and, yeah because scout he does have a little tender uh pads and that's knowing your dog and so you from day one, you just started off with the boots and it was a pain. It took 10 minutes longer at the truck. It seemed like, but it saved you days of hunting. And just so y'all know, the, the Lewis boots are the ones that I have. And it's just the simple rubber boot that you slide onto the dog and I, I duct tape them on. So it's, it's not the fancy Velcro ones that you see in the nylon and all that. It's your simple rubber boot. So if I'm getting, if I'm going to be totally honest with you from a veterinary perspective, I did not, want to introduce the booties to this podcast because i didn't know if these guys would ever invite me to go hunting with them if i did <laughs> but they're exactly right know your dog and and if, if that's what it takes that's what it takes you know i see a lot of i see a lot of dogs come in to my veterinary practice with those boots on 
I didn't know if they would just cut me off the podcast if I brought it up, but they, they couldn't be more right. <laughs> now, the, we take a standpoint in – I'm going to be cautious. I'm not driving 20 hours and not even just the the driving and the time and the commitment and money on that, but just spending all year training these dogs to get up to a hunting trip and have something as silly as, as a pad issue because you're just too proud to put boots on it. it boots are what? 20 bucks. And it can save you an entire week of hunting. Like it's like well worth the investment. It's yeah. well worth the investment. And, you know, I talked about this, um, with Nick before we started, uh, about, you know, the old school guys that do some of the small game, um, hunting around here, you know, my dad, and, and he would always talk about my grandfather. He, he ran beagles and as a beagle owner, he would never allow his dogs to be kenneled in on concrete. He always had them on, on gravel. And that was for the purpose of conditioning their pads it was a little more inconvenient than having them on uh, concrete where you could just spray out the kennel but at the end of the day it kept his those dogs pads conditioned or at least that was the thought so he always said that they never had any problems around the beagles like that and uh obviously i think conditioning goes a long way with these pads yeah everybody at Boots, chest guards, what I've seen some people use the little eye visors for some dogs if they have like real lit issues or something. Don't be too proud. I mean, hey, you're out there to go hunting and enjoy your dog. Enjoy your dog. Don't be too proud to put any of that stuff on. I'm not. I mean, heck, we get out there, I'll throw the boots on and I'll say, let's go. Let's do it. So, but moving on, enough apparel accessories for these dogs. Uh, I like the cute orange vest, though. Those those are good looking, aren't they? <laughs> yeah. Uh, grass seeds. I know a lot of areas in the country we, has it worse than what we have down here, but can you touch on grass seeds? I think the foxtails come to everybody's mind first, but is there any others that we need to look at? And if they get it in there, do you just pull it out? What, what what's the best way of looking at grass seeds? The foxtail, cheatgrass, Canada wild rye, and I would say speargrass are the big four that we see in many parts of the country. Those are, uh, you know, that's that's something you see everywhere. Here in the South, we don't necessarily see as many of them. So the way I would approach your grasses and your grass awns specifically are if your dog if your dog has a red irritated punctured area that looks like it may be swelling or it's trying to discharge something keep an eye on that because chances are it it may be trying to do that keep in mind that your grass awns the best way i know to describe them are like a fish hook a fish hook is designed to go into a fish's mouth and not be able to migrate backwards because of the barb that is there those grass awns want to do the same thing I've read horror stories. I've seen horror stories. I've uh, seen all kinds of x-rays, cases where where dogs had migrating grass awns. Fortunately, I have not seen any of those in my patients. But keep in mind that when, when you've got that fish hook effect, it wants to go further and further into the tissue and not come backwards. So if you think your dog has sustained any type of puncture or anything of that sort, you want to watch and see if the body is sending something back out or if there are signs of infection that would include pus, swelling, redness, discharge. Unfortunately, for the ones that get them sometimes in their nasal cavities, it's not always that simple. You, you, if, if your dog is still sneezing after two to three weeks, 
uh, even a shorter period than that of being in the field, it might be time to talk to somebody about it. All right. So if you see one, it's not something that you can just take some tweezers or, or hemostats and just try and pull out. It's, it's a little more complicated well, than that. And sometimes, sometimes you can. Sometimes you can. And, and I would tell you, Nick, most of the time that you can. Uh, there are times, though, that if, if something doesn't seem right, and we, we talked about it earlier, knowing your dog, if something's not right, something's probably not right. The, the issue with, and I can tell you, people bring their dogs to my veterinary practice all the time, and the first thing we do is, is pull something out, and most of the time it's totally fine. Like I mentioned, I've not seen one of these cases, but the, the fear is the migration of the grass on and, and the way that it's designed to, to I me, mean, that's exactly what it's designed to do. So if, if something's not right, you know, your dog, have it checked out. What is different from the grass seeds as opposed to porcupine quills? Is there any difference? Are they similar? Do you just start pulling them out? Don't worry about it. What, what, what do you need to be aware of with porcupines? So it's very similar. I would say with porcupine quills, you're probably, more susceptible to infection so that's probably one of those i'd leave up to a medical professional if i could uh you don't have to take my advice on that but i would say in most cases those are going to be something that you're going to have more complications okay so you just pull them out but they may need a, a hit of antibiotics it hits your vet up he'll probably hit you with some antibiotics okay all right well uh Let's keep with kind of doing stuff in the field. What level first aid should hunters in general just try and attempt in the field? Is there some? Is there a fine line that you suggest? If if this happens, go to a vet. If this happens, is is it kind of up to the owner? What is what do you? What's your best advice on that? Common sense always goes back to that. The uh, if there's excessive hemorrhage, let's have it checked out. If there is excessive discharge whether that be yellow or green, specifically for you guys who are hunting uh, these dogs, look for green discharge. And this may be six, seven days after the fact. Green is not good. Yellow is not good. I think most people understand that, but let's just get it out there. Uh, the Every dog is a little bit different. So there may be one dog that comes into my veterinary practice that is completely falling apart from a one-inch gash, and there's another dog that's got its leg completely broken, and the <laughs> bone is sticking out, and it's and, and you and can't tell there's anything wrong with yeah. it. Crack a beer, walk it off. Uh, so that's right. Yeah. All right. Uh, any overlooked concerns that we haven't really touched on and field-related that's pretty common? Field-related, I don't know, but let's, let's jump back to real quickly a couple of uh, simple things that you can do. One is uh, making sure your heart, your dog is heartworm prevented. Here in the South, it's a huge problem. I had a, I actually had a vet call me today from North Dakota. I had a patient that moved from Murfreesboro, Tennessee, to North Dakota, and the dog was diagnosed with heartworms a week before it left. No offense to the vet there. They, they honestly were not confident in treating heartworm disease because they'd never treated it before. So if you're here in the deep south, make sure that you're you're doing the simple things to keep your dog healthy. Heartworm prevention is is not terribly expensive, so let's let's keep them on that. Most of your vets either sell it in their office or will okay your prescriptions, whether you do that online. Um, keeping your dog's ears clean if it's a water dog, 
these guys uh, hunt a lot more upland game than I than I have experience with. Most of my dogs have been uh, duck dogs. Keeping those ears clean, that's a pretty simple thing to do. And then uh, joint disease, anything you can do to prevent that, let's keep them on some joint supplements, glucosamine, chondroitin, MSM. Let's talk about you hit on duck hunting a little bit. We, we kind of, I think, uh, skipped over some of the cold weather issues that we may run into while duck hunting. We, we mentioned looking at the gums and, and things like that, but can you talk to us about other symptoms uh, that could be uh, manifesting that would allow us to be able to understand, okay, we need to pull this dog out of the field or off the out of blind right now and get it heated up? So from a, a physiological perspective, if you think about what happens when your body gets cold, the first thing that happens in the periphery or the the, the legs and the feet are your 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 uh, arteries are going to constrict. So I'm not trying to get into too much science. I'm certainly not a scientist. The the arteries are going to constrict. So what does that do? If there's less blood flow, things start to turn purple or blue. So yeah, I mean we've all been in a uh, well, I say we all, some of us have been in a situation where you look at your dog's feet or your dog's tongue and they're super blue. Um, it, those are the first things you're going to look for. A lot of people would say, uh, watch your dog, see if it's shivering. Guess what? My dog starts shivering the second I put him in the boat at 430 in the morning. Yeah. And opposite of that, I was out duck hunting with a buddy years ago and uh, he had a black lab. She never showed the first sign. She wasn't shivering. She just kind of we were actually headed back to the truck. It was just a, a long hike, especially in waders and decoy bags and all that. Everybody knows about that. But uh, she just kind of slowed down for a second, and then she just tipped over. And immediately he just CPR. We threw coats and everything over her and everything, and he got her to come back too. But that dog did not show the first sign of, uh, of anything cold-related other than she just slowed down for a minute. And uh, we were just walking back to the truck. And so fortunately, she's okay. But it's just, yeah, there's no shivering, color charge, whatever. We we didn't notice it. It was just she had been out there too long. And so that, what, that's a breed that is designed to be out there. So what I'll say to that is keep in mind that these guys, you and I would complain much, much, much faster than they ever would. So... Yeah. yeah, I hate to keep beating the same bush over and over, but if you know your dog, and I'm not saying that he didn't, but if you know your dog, you got a much better chance to pick up on those signs yeah. because, trust me, I'll start complaining three hours before I get frostbite. <laughs> Talk to us about what we can do in a cold weather scenario to warm the dog up. Obviously, I guess it goes back to the core issues. If you can heat that core up faster, that's better for the dog. Uh, tell us about some of the things that you would recommend. So the core is obviously the first thing you want to go for. If you can heat the if you can heat the core up, you're good. Um, we we've everybody knows. I mean, you can't make an Instagram picture without your dog in a, uh, a, a camouflage hunting vest. So that'd be the first place <laughs> I would go. But um, I mean, th- those kind of things are important. The sooner you can get back to your truck, the better. If yeah. you think your dog is cold, your dog's probably cold. Yeah, that's exactly what we did. We threw both of our heavy duck coats over and I ran to the truck, got the heater going and he carried her all the way back to the truck, put her in the floorboard of that heater. And she was good a little bit later Two day, you know, she was tired for a day or two and then she was back at it, but she, she was out and it, it, 
it caught us off guard. That's for sure. I mean, dude. I'm sure that's scary. I mean, that's you never want to see your dog go down like that. Those are not things I typically see from a veterinary perspective. Um, it's 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 stuff that I've I've wondered about a few times when I saw ice. Uh, you know, icicles in my Boykin Spaniel's ears. You think about stuff like that, but you know, for him, maybe he was shivering. But if he was sitting right here and and he saw a bumper in my hand, he'd be shivering. Yeah, so. that's the same thing. If you get scouting a duck blind, he's just gonna sit there and just he'll shake. Just I think in anticipation, you know. So it's not necessarily that that quiver is due to cold weather. It could just be he's excited. Exactly. So circling back around to the uh, overlook concerns, uh, let's touch on a couple of the things like leptocirrhosis and Lyme disease and stuff like that. Uh, what's your take on leptocirrhosis? I wouldn't play around with it at all. The The prevalence is probably, you know, you could probably live an entire lifetime and it never affect your dog, but you're listening to this podcast. So in all likelihood, you, you, you want to be proactive uh, Do you want to describe what lepto is to somebody that may not know? Sure. So lepto is is spread by some of the wildlife in in definitely here in Tennessee, but also in many parts of the country. Raccoons, uh, possums, different different animals like that. Um, uh, definitely wild uh, pigs, and so lepto in the veterinary world we just call it lepto for short but lepto the first thing it's going to affect are your dog's liver and kidneys and while it is a treatable disease in most cases by the time you get it to me the damage is already going to be done and i think a lot of people understand that a liver and a kidney are not something you can get back once they're damaged so a simple 15 20 vaccine can take care of that but if your dog is exposed, and I would say everybody that's listening to this podcast, dog is exposed to water, streams, uh, creeks, ponds, puddles, so on and so forth. It's very well worth going with the lepto vaccine. Yeah, because isn't isn't it spread from the urine of those yes. animals into the water? So those animals urinate, and keep in mind too, from a human medicine perspective, that you or I could also contract the same disease. All right, so I think that covers lepto pretty good. Uh, I think the another big disease around here and uh, up northeast especially, Lyme disease. And what can we do to prevent Lyme disease, or is just tick prevent- prevention the really the only choice? So for the most part, what we're looking for as far as Lyme disease prevention is your tick prevention, that's that's going to be 95% of the problem are, are, are dogs that are infested with ticks. And I know there's a million home remedies and so on and so forth. But it, the vaccines for Lyme disease, the bottom line is it's a, it's for the most part, it's a 50-50 shot, whether it's going to do a whole lot. Uh, and keep in mind that here in the deep south, we don't have a, a huge Lyme disease problem. If you're uh, specifically in the the upper Midwest, the the upper Atlantic, those are the places where, where Lyme disease is going to be most prevalent. And in most cases, Lyme disease is going to be a very treatable problem. But at the same time, there are some dogs that, that can have some pretty serious consequences. 
what are the main symptoms of, of Lyme disease? And I ask this because I've read a few things. You know, some of the old school guys will say the first symptom is is that the sense of smell goes away. And, and that's just an old school thing that I've read. And I was wondering if maybe that's an, a symptom that you've had someone talk to you about or, or what. Look, you guys know more of the old school dudes than I do. And I'll, I'll say this. I The honest honest truth Austin is I can't say specifically from a medical perspective that one way or the other I've heard the exact same thing you've heard and I've had that uh, complaint many times but for the most part what you're looking for is going to be a dog that's either lethargic it doesn't have the same drive that it would normally have uh, which you can almost always attribute to its low-grade fever but more specifically you're going to see a dog that has a lameness issue Okay. One thing, is this going to be like an annual shot or how do you go about with that vaccine? What, what is that? So if you are a, a high risk dog and I keep in mind, I do not practice. I practice in middle Tennessee. So I make my recommendations and most dogs that I vaccinate are couch potatoes. That's, you know, that's just the reality of it. So I make my I make my vaccination recommendations uh, specific to the client, but if 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 I'm talking to a um, a dog owner in the upper Midwest who is a uh, upland bird dog, then yeah, absolutely, we're talking about uh, vaccinating that dog every year and strict tick control, whether that means one of the the newer collars that are out or one of the oral medications make sure that it's something that your vet is comfortable with is it true i've read and heard from a few people is it true that the collar has kind of always been the best proven method for tick prevention and that a lot of these oral uh, medications are always trying to compare against the collar is that true or was that true a couple years ago is it a myth because i People keep telling me that, and I just find it a little hard to swallow myself. I have to base my my proof on the pudding of what comes in my building every day. And I would say that, for it, it, put it this way, I have the collars, I have the Soresto collars specifically on my dogs. I've had no issues with them, um, but I've had... Folks walk in with with fleas or ticks on their dog with those collars. So, you know, every drug rep's going to come in. They're going to sell you on a different product. Uh, I think you can't go wrong with. And, and I'm not trying to plug products. Trust me, they they're not giving me any kickbacks. But my dogs use the Soresto collars at my practice. We carry Nexgard and we carry Credelio, which are both uh, Nexgard and Credelio are both monthly oral flea and tick preventions and i wouldn't have them there if i didn't think they worked what about i, I give my dogs perfecto and it, it works for us the only ticks we ever find on our dogs is it falls off and i know what you're going to say well if it works for you just keep using it do you do you feel like you lose anything on the medicine that you give every three months as opposed yeah. to monthly absolutely not i think perfecto is a good product it's just one that um for one reason or another, I, honestly, I can't tell you why. I don't have it. My staff constantly requests that we get it. The sales rep didn't take uh, you out to dinner. Maybe not. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, seriously, it, 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 they're, they're all, I think, 
as long as it's something that your veterinarian is comfortable with, then then I th- I think it's okay. Brevecto is one that I left off, but and that's you know, it, I'm comfortable with all of those. Okay. Well, to keep up with the vaccines, uh, snake bite vaccine. Does it work? Is it worth it? Is it just uh, 50-50 and it's so cheap that might as well do it just to be on the safe side? What, what's your opinion on it? So if you live in the Pacific or the, uh, the the Southwest where you've got those Western Diamondbacks, it's 100% kind of uh, proven that, that it's going to be great for those. Keep in mind that all of these different snakes belong to the same family. So they're all crotalids. You've got the Western Diamondback. You've got the Eastern Diamondback. You've got the Timber Rattlesnake. You've got the Copperhead, Water Moxin, all of them. That is the only snake, the Western Diamondback specifically, is the only snake that it is um, proven proven to be 100% effective. But the way that they attack the body are all very similar with all those snakes. So you do get some cross-protection from the other species. So if you're at a high risk for copperheads or water moccasins or timber rattlers like we hear in the south, then you may get your 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 dog could get some benefit from those. But it's not like just just because it's a rattlesnake vaccine that it covers you. So it's you not here. like you can get the vaccine, walk out, and your dog get t- gets tagged in the face. You're like, oh, it's all right. I got the snake vaccine. Definitely not. Okay. Uh, well, I think is that an annual shot or what is that? So that is an annual shot at my practice if, again, if it's a high-risk animal. And I've got guys that are kayakers. I've got guys that are hikers. I've got guys that are hunters that come into my practice. If there's a possibility, it's in most cases, and I won't speak for the cost in your part of the country, but where I live, it's a $20 vaccine. In most cases, you're better off just to go ahead and do it. Yeah, And the vaccine reaction is uh, minimal risk. You're better off. 20 bucks just just for peace maybe, of mind yeah, yeah. It's just another and it may not help you out but for 20 bucks it's worth it and that's not trying to sell you a veterinary product i mean sure the well, uh, cost benefit analysis there uh, common absolutely. sense would tell you just to go ahead and do it yeah. is that lepto that we talked about earlier is that lepto vaccine is that annual as well lepto's annual in most cases you'll 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 start that at 12 weeks and most vets will booster that at the same time as the rabies shot and then it'll be annual after that. Are any of these vaccines, do you need to make sure that you get like a certain period of time before you hunt them? Are they going to become lethargic or tired or sore or anything like that for a week or so? So the lepto vaccine, I would say, typically comes with a minimal side effect, but most dogs do experience some lethargy. So I wouldn't lepto vaccinate your dog or leptospirosis. Uh, specifically vaccinate your dog the day before competition or anything like that. But in most cases, use a couple of days, give it 48 hours, and you should get good coverage. Okay. Awesome. So um, I know you have a list and breakdown of this uh, these at-home medications. It's kind of common stuff around the house that uh, would come in handy for anybody that has any emergency issues on a number of things. You want to kind of give a breakdown and, and this is what Whit was referring to earlier. We're going to post a copy of this up on our social media, uh, just so you guys can see it and print it off if you, if you want. So for the, the, I'd say the big two or three 
that I would focus on would be uh, if your if your dog is having a vomiting issue, you can always you can use Pepto. Now keep in mind if they throw up even more black after that, it's probably because of the Pepto. Don't freak out. Uh, usually, if if your dog's already sick and you give them Pepto, the, their vomit may turn darker. But uh, for most of you guys, it's going to be a dog over thirty five pounds, and you can do a tablespoon every four hours. For any type of allergic reaction, always go with Benadryl as your first choice. Benadryl is going to be dosed a milligram per pound, and you can do that every four to six hours. Um, <clears throat> for diarrhea, Imodium is usually the way to go. I usually tell folks to go two milligrams per 25 pounds of body weight, and you can do that every 12 hours. Keep in mind that if you give it too many times, you're probably going to be dealing with the other problem, which is constipation. <laughs> if you do not have NSAIDs available to you, you can use 10 milligrams per pound uh, of aspirin. So, for instance, a 30-pound dog would get 300 milligrams, and that's a once-daily dose. And then the one we talked about earlier, if your dog ate the corn cob at the uh, duck camp, you want to make them throw that up and... Uh, Basically, I just keep giving them hydrogen peroxide till they threw it up. What about <laughs> good advice? Yeah. What about been there? Uh, I can promise. Tums. I got a good buddy with a lab, and anytime the dog is, you know, eating a lot of grass, has a lot of acid, upset stomach, diarrhea, he gives gives the dog tums, and it seems to knock it out. Is there an issue with tums? No, on not dogs? not at all. That's just not one of mine that I had written down. But okay. you can definitely do that. Getting something on their stomach to keep the, uh, the the gastric reflux under control. I mean, a lot of people, uh, I can't tell you how many people bring dogs to the clinic that their complaints that they're eating grass or that they have a little upchuck every now and then. And that that usually fix the problem. All right. What about dogs that eat other dogs' stool? Is that a malnutrition deal? What? <laughs> Because there's a lot of dogs, especially on long trips when they're stressed out or they're, it's like they won't eat dog food, but then you look over there and they're eating their, their buddy's stool over there. Like, what, what is that about? Public service announcement. He's not talking about my dogs. I don't know who he's hanging out with. <laughs> I, would tell you, and I would tell you nine times out of ten, he likes the way that dog's poop smells. Um, <laughs> in most cases, it's, it's not something that you're going to have happen from time to time. It's a chronic it, issue. Exactly. If it's okay. a chronic issue, chronic poopy. Holler at me. If it happens ever here and there, it's probably a dog to dog personality issue, honestly. Hmm. All right. Uh, Sounds like a little personality disorder for yeah. canine personality <laughs> disorder to me. Yep. Uh, well, I, I guess, do you have anything else you want to hit on, Austin? I have nothing. I uh, I think that. I want Wit to tell us a good vet story, though, on on some stuff that he's seen. You got anything good for us? Uh, I've got quite a few, but we'll say the best one is uh, a guy showed up to my practice in, I guess it was probably 2016 or 2017. He'd been on a, uh, a hunt, local hunt here in Middle Tennessee, and he showed up with a dog that had been Basically, his tail had been completely shot off, and the dog broke in front of the uh, in front of the pit. And uh, I don't know if the wood duck or the spoonie or whatever it was died, but the dog's tail certainly died that day. We uh, we wound up amputating that bad boy, and 
So uh, you just docked his tail. Yeah. Is it a lab? It's a Labrador retriever. It's a German short hair now. It's a Labra short hair. <laughs> so, again, for the people that say, oh, my dog doesn't need to be steady at blind. There you go. That's why you want your dog steady at the blind. You can, uh, well, I mean, it's it's easier, I'll say this, from a surgical standpoint, it was the easiest amputation I've ever done. It was done for you. That's right. <laughs> they still paid full price, though. <laughs> hey, there you go. All right. Uh, well, Wit, we appreciate you coming on. I know we're going to have you back around uh, here and there and throughout the seasons and keep checking in and hopefully get some hunts in. But uh, we appreciate you making time and coming on to talk to us and kind of give us some common sense answers for everybody thank you guys for letting me hang out it's been a pleasure all right thank you all right guys have a good one seems to have the same questions or concerns when they start trying to decide which kennel to purchase for their vehicle. Perhaps it's time to stop asking all the questions and just design the perfect setup that meets your exact needs. B-Pro Kennel specializes in designing and fabricating custom premier dog boxes handcrafted right here in the USA from high grade lightweight aluminum. They'll get you set up with the size dimensions, lighting, storage, battery boxes with solar charging, and anything else you can dream of. Stop stressing over buying the wrong setup just have to replace it again in a year. Go ahead and check out bprokennels.com and get exactly what you want. If you're considering changing your dog's food soon, then be sure to check out Yukonuba Pro Performance. Their science-backed formulas are designed to take your dog to the next level of performance. They also now have the new puppy formula to help your pup start strong and live active. When looking at all the different food options, remember Yukonuba to help power their ultimate performance. Hey, what's going on, everybody? It's Bob from Lone Duck's Gun Dog Chronicles podcast. I hope you just enjoyed the episode you just listened to. And if you did, I think you'll enjoy hopping on ours. We've got professional retriever trainers and upland bird dog trainers from across the country and world sharing their tips and tricks and great stories to help you and your dog get ready for the season. We'll see you there.